I used to share my weird experience a lot when I was younger. I was naive enough to think that some people would believe me, but most of the time, they didn't. They just made excuses saying it was dark outside. I was mistaken or tired, so I stopped talking about it. But after hearing your show, I knew I had to share this with you and your listeners. I'm from the lower peninsula of Michigan, the top of the mitten if you know what that means. Up north, you'd call it if you were from Detroit. There's not much up here except lakes and trees. It's pretty tough, and we get a lot of tourists in the summer. The winters are cold. Everyone except the locals leave, and there aren't that many of us to go around. So like most rural teenagers at the time, we used to head into the woods and have ourselves a bonfire. It was during one of those bonfires that it happened. This was before cell phones were really a thing. At least not up here yet, so when we were partying, we were cut off from the outside world. Our normal spot was this farmer's field, surrounded on all sides by woods. We learned from the older kids to wait until late fall or early winter to start going there, after the farmer hauled in the last harvest, so we knew there wouldn't be anyone up there. It was sort of a rite of passage in my town. When you were a sophomore or a junior, one of the seniors would let you tag along to one of their parties and show you the spot. Nobody got crazy at these things. It was too cold, and we heard too many stories of kids getting lost in the snow and losing fingers to frostbite. But we always had a good time. I'm telling you this because most people brush off what I tell them, saying I was just young, a panicked teenager. But I was in my right mind when it happened. My sophomore year, we were having one of these bonfires in the field. Everything was normal. Everyone was having a great time. We were burning pieces of an old barn and some furniture an old lady left out for trash. My best friend at the time, I'll call him Mike, was grilling up some frozen burger patties next to me in a rusty old charcoal grill we kept out there. Sarah, also not a real name, but she was standing with us too, chatting away like she always did. When we heard this low, rumbling growl, I looked towards the sound of the growling, and at the edge of the firelight, I saw two predatory eyes reflecting the fire back at me. I nudged Mike and Sarah and slowly pointed in the direction of the eyes, trying not to startle whatever was watching us. We were about ten yards away from the nearest group of partygoers. Sarah was terrified, and she walked slowly backwards to them. She never took her eyes off the edge of the firelight. I don't even think she took a breath the entire time she walked away. I had the exact opposite reaction. I was fascinated by the glowing eyes in the dark. We had been hearing reports that gray wolves were coming back into the lower peninsula from Canada and Wisconsin for a few years now. But all anybody ever saw were flashes on trail cams or tracks in the snow. The Fish and Game Commission couldn't even make up their minds if these were real signs of wolves or people mistaking dogs and coyotes. I was excited at the prospect of being the first person in Lower Michigan to see a wolf in the flesh. I could tell Mike was excited too, because as I slowly stalked forward for a better look, he was glued to my side. Walking up to a potential wolf is a stupid thing to do, but I was young, and I could hear the whispers and murmurs behind me as Sarah alerted the rest of the party to what was going on. I couldn't back down now. Everyone was watching. 
Mike and I were about seven or so yards away from this supposed wolf. I could just barely make out the outline of its head and ears. It looked almost like a large German shepherd, but with a broader snout and wider ears. The growl got lower, more menacing like it was no longer warning, but an actual threat. I've heard so many dogs growl, but this was more raspy and guttural, like there was something mismatched between the creature's vocal cords and its chest. Mike stopped moving and turned back. I was scared and wanted to turn back too, but I wanted to be the big man at the party more. I wanted the upperclassmen at the bonfire to tell this story next year that this new underclassman had become a local legend, one that they talk about around the bonfire. I noticed a strong odor coming from the wolf. It stank like a wet dog that went for a swim in urine. I was about five yards away now, give or take, and I knew I didn't have it in me to get any closer. I could see now that something wasn't right. I could see the outline of this creature's entire body now, and it was not a wolf. The head and legs looked like they belonged on a large German shepherd, but the torso was human-like. It had broad, muscular shoulders and a large hump of dense muscle on its back. I stumbled back. My foot hit a rock or a stick or something. I don't know, but it made a noise and startled the creature. It stood up on its hind legs and snarled. Now, I'm 5'10", and the creature was looking at me eye to eye. Its breath was hot and smelled horrific. I fell backwards onto my butt and scrambled away as fast as I could in that position. I threw handfuls of dirt and rocks in the creature's direction, while desperately trying to get back to the fire. The creature ran into the woods while making this whooping howl. The entire party just stared at me in silence. Over the years, that whole incident morphed into a joke about some kid getting scared by the farmer's dog or coyote. I've even heard a version of it where it was an unusually large raccoon. I don't blame people. I would probably think the same thing if I wasn't the one who saw it up close. Mike was the only one close enough to really see anything, and he won't talk about it. He changes the subject every time I bring it up, so I stopped asking him about it. Sometimes I wonder if something horrible would have happened if we didn't notice those eyes at the edge of the firelight. Maybe if someone left the party to go take a pee or make out in the bushes, this would be an unsolved murder instead of a local joke. Either way, I guess I'm just glad that we're all safe. I'm always amazed at how people have shared some crazy stories. There's no doubt there's a lot to this world that we just don't understand. I've seen some strange things myself, and I finally got up enough courage to share something with you and your audience. It was the most disturbing thing I've ever experienced in my life. I'm a forest ranger at the Hiawatha National Forest in Michigan. Working here is a dream job. When I was a kid, my parents used to bring us here for family vacations in the summer. It's gorgeous and I love it. So it made sense for me to do my part to help preserve this wonderful environment. I don't remember seeing anything strange when I was a kid, but working here is a totally different story. I hear about weird experiences from visitors all the time, but I'd say most of it is mistaken identity, like someone thinking a bear is a Bigfoot. But I know what I saw, and there's no mistaking it for a bear. It started with a call to the ranger station 
about an assault taking place at one of the campgrounds. I and another ranger, who I'll call Tom, drove out to see what was going on. What we found at the scene was something out of a horror movie. A man had gone crazy trying to kill his family. He was armed with a bowie knife and had his wife and child cornered, but the wife was able to hold him off with a hunting rifle. We pulled our guns and told him to drop his weapon, but he wouldn't comply. His wife was terrified, but she begged us not to shoot him. While Tom kept his gun ready, I pulled out a baton and disarmed and subdued the man. As I handcuffed him, he kept repeating one word underneath his breath. Wendigo. Wendigo. It was creepy and it sent a shiver up my spine. The cops arrived and as they took a report from the woman, I overheard her say that they had been camping for a few days. Her husband went hunting by himself, but when he returned, he began acting strangely. He suddenly became withdrawn and started talking to himself, claiming he had seen a strange creature in the forest. When the woman tried talking to him, he lashed out at her. The child was getting scared and the woman demanded they leave, but the man refused. Finally, he went berserk and turned his attention to his wife and child. She thought he was possessed and was convinced it wasn't him, saying that his facial features even changed. The cops took the family to the police station, leaving Tom and me pretty shaken. Sure, I've had to break up disturbances and drunken behavior before, but nothing like this. I asked Tom if he heard the man uttering the word Wendigo. He shook his head no, but I didn't believe him. I could tell he was scared. I've heard that the Wendigo is a Native American myth. I didn't think it was something that anyone believes in this day and age. It's said that the creature is capable of pulling people under its spell and driving them to insanity, murder, and even cannibalism. If I ever heard anyone speak of it, it was only as a campfire tale. Over the next couple of days, I became obsessed. I learned the woman and the child were safe. But as soon as the husband was driven out of the forest, it was like he snapped out of a trance and had no recollection of what he had done. I heard this through police friends, but strangely in the news, it was reported that the man was high on drugs. Seemed like someone was covering this up. I guess to protect the reputation of the National Forest or the U.S. Forest Service. On my breaks, I looked at the trail cams where the family was camping. I tracked down the footage of the man hunting and saw something quite odd. At one point, he approached something off camera with his rifle aimed, but then he stopped. He dropped the gun and he stood motionless, staring at whatever it was. He wasn't facing the camera and was about 10 yards away, so I couldn't see his face. He literally stood there, rooted in place for over three hours. The sun began to set, and he finally picked up his gun and walked away. A few minutes later, a shadowy hulking figure darted across the trail. It was so fast, just like a blur of motion, but I paused it and was able to make out something that looked like it walked out of a nightmare. What was most distinguishable was its head, a deer skull with 50-point antlers, 5-0. I counted them like three times. I thought it was a mask but the rest of the figure was skeletal as well. It had the legs of a deer, and its body was emaciated. Its arms were long and lanky, with claws that also looked like antlers. I immediately told my supervisor and showed him the footage. 
But he said it wasn't what I thought it was and told me to drop the subject. Something was up, and he obviously wasn't telling me everything. I told Tom about it, but he didn't want to get involved. I forced him to look at the footage, but when I searched the database, it was gone. Everything involving that family had been erased. Tom simply said, sometimes it's best to leave well enough alone. I was confused, but then I was called in by my supervisor. He explained that the issue was sensitive and not something for the U.S. Forest Service to handle. It fell on the Native American tribes. The area where the family was camping was now off limits, and I was told to stay away until further notice. A month later, that camping area reopened. I heard from Tom that it had been cleansed. It was clear that this incident had roots deeper than I understood. And as Tom said before, sometimes it's best to just leave well enough alone. To say that I'm a huge fan of your channel would be an understatement. I've been a truck driver for five years, and I actually listen to it while I'm on the road. I never thought I'd be able to contribute something myself, but now that day has arrived. While I'm not 100% certain what I saw, I'm 99.9% .9 certain that it was not of this earth. Let me start from the beginning. I'm an owner-operator, and I schedule shipments through the same broker that I've used since I started. I got a call regarding an urgent load that needed to be transported from Long Beach, California to Amarillo, Texas. He was vague about the cargo and the company, which should have been the first red flag. But I didn't think much of it, and I agreed to the job. I arrived at the port of Long Beach, where I was directed to a pier that was cordoned off. There were a lot of black, unmarked vehicles and men in military uniforms with no ranks or insignia. I had to go through a rigorous security checkpoint, where they thoroughly pat me down and checked my ID, and also searched my truck. I never experienced anything like this before, which should have been another red flag, but I figured it was too late to turn back now. Here's where it starts to get strange. They wouldn't let me in the back of my truck and instead someone else drove it away, and I was told it would return with a loaded container already hitched. I said I don't approve, because I like to inspect the cargo and make sure it's properly loaded and secured. I didn't want to be liable for anything, but they assured me that the container is sealed, and as long as the seal remained unbroken upon delivery, I wouldn't be responsible for anything. It's not the first time I've driven a sealed container. So I shrugged it off and gave them the paperwork, but they refused to divulge what I would be transporting. It made me uncomfortable, but as I looked at the armed men around me, I didn't argue. They gave me other paperwork to sign, simply stating that the container was preloaded and sealed. They promised a sizable bonus to Amarillo if everything worked out. They knew this was unorthodox, but said not to worry, which only made me more curious. An hour later, they returned to my truck with a shipping container, and I got out of there as fast as I could. As I drove, I kept replaying the events in my mind. What was in that container? Why hire an owner-operator for something so secretive? What shadowy organization did they belong to? Why armed men? Whatever it was, it was heavy. My imagination began to run wild. Hours later, around 2 or 3 in the morning, I was on the I-40 in Arizona, approaching the border of New Mexico. There was no one else on that lonely stretch of desert. On 
There was no one else on that lonely stretch of desert at that hour. And this is when the really crazy stuff began to happen. There was a flash of light in the sky, which I dismissed as lightning. But when it happened again, I realized it was actually coming from a nearby mountain. And I swear I saw something shoot out of it and disappear into the sky. A round, bright object that moved at an incredible speed. I glanced out the window for a better look and almost drove off the road. Hovering above me was this black triangle-shaped craft. It was hard to see in the darkness, but it blotted out the clear starry sky. It made no sound and followed at my pace. It was huge, the size of a football field. I don't know why I thought I could outrun it, but I instinctively stepped on the gas. The next thing I knew, a glowing white object pulled up next to me. It paused for a moment and then zipped right past me. Not sure how familiar you are with tic-tac UFOs reported by the Navy a few years ago, but that's what it looked like. Scared out of my mind, I glanced out the window again and saw a triangle craft still above. That's when another tic-tac circled my truck. It moved clockwise around me while maintaining the speed that I was driving, which was around 80 miles per hour. Then it shot up straight and disappeared. It defied all logic and physics. I focused on the road and finally pulled into a truck stop near Gallup, New Mexico. I don't know how long I sat there before getting out, but it took a while to wrap my head around what was happening. The triangle craft was nowhere to be seen. I have no idea how long it followed me before disappearing. The only conclusion I could come to was that it was related to whatever was in that container. I continued on to Albuquerque where I was supposed to take a 10-hour break, but I just wanted to dump this load. I kept going and finished the last leg to Amarillo without incident. I dropped off the container at a facility that had no markings and was greeted by more armed men in unmarked uniforms. They asked how the drive went and if I encountered anything along the way, but I told them nothing happened. Pretty sure they didn't believe me, but they didn't say anything and I didn't care. They drove my truck away and an hour later returned it without the container. I was given a nice cash bonus, but the money meant nothing. I went to a nearby motel and crashed for several hours. When I woke up, my arms and face were red with some kind of rash. I went to the doctor and was told it was radiation burns. I'm taking some time off while I heal, and I'm hesitant to go back driving. Even if I do, there's one thing for sure. I'm done taking jobs from that broker. 